It started with a memory of my mother at the piano. She'd sit at our piano, uh, good but old, upright, she'd inherited from her father, and she'd just play simple chords. I knew she was unhappy, but what could I do? I was just a child. It always ended with a door slam. I'd imagine I'd hear music in that slam, but there was no music. And I'd find comfort in talking to Ziggy. Me and Ziggy would talk into the night. We'd talk till the owl at the end of our garden began to hoot. Then I'd go to sleep. Ziggy was my imaginary friend. He was a boy from an old American TV sitcom, or at least like a boy from one of those old black and white shows which were on during the day and I'd catch when I was off sick from school or during the summer holidays. A wiseacre kid with a cheery smile. (laughs) Only he wasn't real. He lived in my mind and my room, specifically in the old wardrobe. A big, looming mahogany wardrobe that sat across from my small bed. It always looked like it was leaning, always threatening to topple over and crush me. Only I knew it wouldn't, because my dad, who was a structural engineer, told me it wouldn't. Something about weight differentials and technical stuff. But at night, when the moon was bright enough and my curtains weren't quite closed properly... The shadows conspired to paint a scary picture of a monster in a heavy brown coat hovering over me with murderous intent. That's when Ziggy would reassure me that all was well with the world and shadows were just shadows and moonlight merely the opposite of a shadow and proof that the sun was still shining on the other side of midnight. And I'd sleep. A sound. Sweet sleep. And then the cycle would begin again. After my dad left and my mother never played a complete tune ever again. Ziggy and I did what we could to survive. And then, one day, Ziggy was gone. I didn't need him, and clearly his work with me was done. My brain, my my imagination, my fear of that glowering wardrobe had diminished to the point where I could function on my own. But I was always fascinated by the entire phenomenon of the imaginary friend, which is why when I had the chance to make a podcast about the psychological roots of imaginary friends in childhood, I took it. And that's when things really started to go wrong. Making that podcast was the the biggest mistake in my life. Welcome to the South Mims U podcast, and in this episode we're going to examine the childhood phenomena of the imaginary friend. Research shows that children in all cultures often have imaginary friends or companions which bring them comfort and friendship. But what are they for? 
Why do they emerge in early childhood and persist until 9, 11, perhaps even the early teens? What function do they serve? Are they a bad thing? Or, as some believe, actually evidence of an advanced sociability and a deeper sense of a theory of mind? With me to discuss this, I have Agatha Paul, one of our lecturers in child psychology here at South Mims. Thanks, Agatha, for taking the time to talk to me. It's a pleasure, Greg. It's not often that the subject gets any attention, strangely. Really? Why? Parents can find it embarrassing to admit that their child has an imaginary friend, even though many of them would also have had one when they were young. Why would they find it troubling? Usually because they think it's a kind of disorder or some sort of mental aberration. We live in a time when parents worry too much about the state of their children's mental health. And there's a constant sense that every behaviour signals some sort of disorder, some marker that their kids are on a complex spectrum of, well, problems. And in your view, they aren't? Most, the great majority, are perfectly normal. There's a spectrum of character, for sure. But we often see character traits as evidence of disorder. They're usually not evidence of anything, but character traits, even quirks. But they're natural. Human beings are all different. There is no normal. Right. Well, I was actually going to ask you if having an imaginary friend is normal or not, but... Uh... It's normal. Not everyone has one. Many do. Both experiences are normal. Clearly some parental concerns annoy you. Parents are very annoying sometimes. Okay, so having an imaginary friend is normal. We can establish that, right? Did you have one? I did. I didn't, and we're both normal. Well, that depends on your definition of normal. Very good point. Okay, well that complicates the discussion, but... No, it's not complicated, Greg. It's just how life is. Normal is a broad range of us, you and me, all the people we know. Okay, so imaginary friends are common. Very common. We can't put a percentage on the number of children who create them in their minds, but anecdotally we all know kids who have them, and adults who will admit to having had one. Well, I'll readily admit it. My imaginary friend was a boy called Ziggy. He was an American kid from a black-and-white sitcom. Really? That's unusual. Ah, already I'm outside the normal. Don't worry. Imaginary friends come in all shapes and sizes, and they sometimes aren't even human. Explain. While your black-and-white American sitcom character is, well, possibly unique, most imaginary friends are children the same age as the real child, and they are also usually of the same sex, though not always. Younger children often embody their imaginary companion in an object, a stuffed animal or a doll, sometimes a cushion or a comfort blanket, and, on rare occasions, other inanimate objects. Such as... I had one case where a child carried a clothes brush called Errol around with him. A clothes brush? A big old clothes brush that his father had used in his work as a tailor. Ah, right. In that case, we suspected the smell of the brush reminded him of his father, who had died. And the name Errol came from the old films his father liked. Errol Flynn, right? Exactly. So, sometimes imaginary friends are linked to absent parents. Research has shown that an imaginary friend, we usually call them companions, ICs. ICs, okay. Yes, and they can be linked to the death or absence of a parent or significant other through divorce or breakup. Why would an IC be used for that? I mean, I thought it was because kids were lonely. I think that's what my friend Ziggy was for. Both your parents were present? Ah, no, my father had, um, he left. Oh, right. Well, uh, the research suggests that an IC can help a child work through the irreversibility of death, especially of a parent. The mother or father is gone. 
There's no way of getting them back and it's hard to talk about it to adults or their peers. So an IC appears who will listen and, because they are extensions of the child's own imagination, can help work through the situation in situ. In situ? Alone, in the bedroom at night or while playing. As the sense of loss hits them, as it will do regularly as they try to make sense of a changed world, a changed home, and the grief of adults around them. Wow, that all sounds quite grim. Well, that's only one aspect of the IC, and it's research that I find fascinating. But the majority of ICs are about sociability, a child learning to be an individual amongst other individuals, how to have relationships with others of their own age, how to choose the relationships that are rewarding to them, and also how to deal with conflict and disappointment when relationships change. Sounds like growing up. Exactly that. But if you didn't have one? You didn't need one. There's no right or wrong. Some people try to hypothesise that kids with ICs are more social or grow up to be better at forming lasting relationships. And there is some slight evidence of that possibility, but I don't buy it. Why not? I think it's the usual impulse that parents have to try and spin what their kid is doing in a positive light. He or she has an IC. Oh, that means they're going to be more socially competent when they grow up. It's the same thing as thinking your child is a genius. It probably isn't. Okay, so having an imaginary friend is usually a positive thing, right? It's neutral, in my opinion. Some kids find it useful, others don't. It's that simple. But usually the IC is a positive thing. You want it to be? I think my experience was a positive one. You think it was? Siggy was... Well, it sounds strange to admit it. We did argue. Was he nasty to you? Sometimes. But we always made up. That's a key aspect of the IC. They are not by any means imaginary constructions of the perfect friend. Often they are, in fact, argumentative, disappointing, and sometimes even frightening. Hmm. Explain. I've had children tell me that they can't rely on their IC, or their IC whispers horrible things to them at night, or their IC tells tales on them to their parents. But the children persist in trying to get on with their IC, until, at one point, they realise they don't need them, and the IC fades. Do they fade willingly? They're imaginary. They can fade away any time the child wants them to. It's usually unconscious, but the scenario is entirely made up within the child's mind. After all, the friend is imaginary, Greg. Sure, of course. Siggy didn't go willingly. Oh? Well, that's enough about me. Actually, I'd love to talk more about Ziggy. <laughs> yeah, OK, uh, perhaps not on the podcast. No, of course. Thanks, Agatha. That was really interesting. This house was always so quiet. Too quiet. And my mother's old clock never seemed to need winding. It just kept ticking eternally. But silence doesn't exist. You can hear the silence. A heavy silence. My father left for no reason at all. Not any reason I could make sense of as a child. But Ziggy had an explanation. And that made me feel better. I missed Ziggy when he was gone. I knew he had to go. When suddenly it felt childish to have an imaginary friend. So one day I made him go. And he went. But I missed him. And always did, strangely. 
But then, when I was researching the podcast on Imaginary Friends, I was introduced to Ralph Say, a tech entrepreneur who had set up something called the Imaginary Friend Bureau. Greg, Greg. Hi, Ralph. Nice to meet you. Wow, this is an impressive facility. It's where we run our cloud services business. But I think what you're really interested in is our new experimental venture. Mm, sounds amazing. And if I'm honest, a little strange. Well, well come, come this way. I'll show you how the Imaginary Friends Bureau works. Come, come this way. Wow, this is amazing. They're enhanced servers with a lot of computing power. Uh, we'll, we'll go into the lab, okay? Looks like a dentist's office. Oh, the chair, yes. Well, that is actually a modified dentist's chair. Well spotted. Uh, sit in it. Go on, sit in it. <laughs> you want me to sit in it? Yeah, yes. D don't be afraid. Okay. Comfortable? Yeah, nice. Soft. Very comfortable. Uh, so can you tell me what you do at the Imaginary Friends Bureau? Surely. It's simple. We bring customers' imaginary friends back to life. Uh, uh, really? But I'm, I mean... Well, the friends were, of course, imaginary to begin with. Yes, of course, but... But for a child, they are really alive. They exist in the child's mind. Their world, yes? Well, their imaginations. But they feel real. No? They do. You had one, didn't you? I did. And did he, she or it feel real to you? He did. Well, there you are. You had an imaginary friend who felt as real as anything else in your life at that time did. And then he was gone. And you felt a sense of loss, didn't you? I suppose. Well, yes, yes, I, I did. But not for long. No, no, of course. You put away childish things, as they say. I grew up, I guess. So, I still don't understand what you offer people who want their imaginary friends to be... Uh... Brought back to life, resurrected, re-embodied. You can use any word or phrase you like. Like I said, they were just imaginary friends, so bringing them back to life doesn't, doesn't make sense. Do you mean you represent them in some way? No, no, no. We bring them back. It's that simple. Well, doesn't sound simple. We embody them through digital means. Based on what? On what the customer tells us. And what our systems can detect in terms of their brain waves uh, and emotional responses to uh, certain stimuli. What kind of stimuli? All sounds, voices, music, sensory inputs. Ah, hence the chair. Indeed, hence the chair. And then what? Then we create an output in the form of a voice, which can be then downloaded as an app, powered by artificial intelligence and machine learning, so that it can speak to you. What? Through my phone? Well, through any device. All devices. Unified devices. And the re-embodied, uh, resurrected, uh, imaginary friend can speak to you? And you can speak to it. To him. Well, that's... That's creepy. It isn't, if that's what you desire. So let me get this straight. You use a, a digital AI voice to represent the old imaginary friend? We do. But imaginary friends don't actually have voices. In your head, your imaginary friend did. But, Am I right? But that was just brainwaves and make-believe. <laughs> Nicely put. But we have the technology to turn those brainwaves into a close representation of what that imaginary voice must have sounded like when you were a child. I'm sorry, but that sounds, um, 
unnatural. I know it does. But it's also curiously compelling. Which means you would like to try it? Uh, no. Um, uh, yes, but... It's all about choice, Greg. You can choose to do it. You can choose to keep your imaginary friend alive. You can choose to close the programme down, delete the app, go on with your life as you were before. And what, what if resurrecting Ziggy isn't a good idea? Ooh, Ziggy, <laughs> your friend. He was called Ziggy, as in... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ziggy Sawdust, yes. I, I was a kid when, you know, uh, when the album came out. My dad was a big Bowie fan. Ah, an imaginary friend based on another imaginary friend. That's nice. Well, if it was, it was unconscious. Often the best things in life are unconscious. So we are agreed uh, you will seek out Ziggy in your mind and, and we shall see if we can replicate him. I suppose, for the sake of the podcast. Indeed, cutting-edge journalism. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, all you need to do is sit back and relax, answer the questions you're asked, pick a range of voices and tell us all you remember about Ziggy. I... I really don't know about this. No, don't worry, don't worry. This will change your life, Greg. I promise you, it will change your life. weird. How did the voice sound? Spooky. Really spooky. I mean, brilliant, but spooky. Is it close? I mean, does it sound like Ziggy? Almost exactly, but just a bit, you know, a bit off. We're working on the neural processing to get the speech more human-like. It's, it's coming. We're hoping to roll out a new product next year that overcomes the limitations of AI voices. No, but uh, don't get me wrong, the voice sounds real enough. I, I just can't go over how it's so close to what I remember. That is, if my brain does remember. Or maybe I'm post-rationalising this. I, I don't know. Mm, Ziggy is back. That's what's important. I feel, um, strange. Like, like I'm eight years old, and, and yet... You'll get used to it. Remember, you can switch it off whenever you want to. Just delete the app. That's all you have to do. OK, sure. Thank you. Remember that time we climbed out the window and scared your mum half to death by pretending to be ghosts in the, in the garden? You had on that white bed sheet with holes you'd rip for eyes. You remember that, Greggy? Do you? You sure you do. We had fun that night, didn't we, Greggy? Even though your mum whipped you behind. That was really funny, too. You wailed like a banshee. How you wailed, that was hilarious. Why did you let me go, Greggy? Why did you let me fade away? You didn't have to f let me fade away like that. 
Growing up is such a selfish thing to do. I couldn't help growing up. Yeah, I guess you had to put away childish things. I get that. But was I really such a childish thing? Was I, Greggy? I wasn't conscious of that happening. I was a child after all. Ch children just, they, they, they just grow up. They don't know they're growing up. It just happens. We change before we realise we've changed. Yeah, but we were close, Greggy. Real close. You rejected me. <laughs> I didn't. You did. I... I just didn't need you anymore. Sure you needed me. You've always needed me now I'm back. You'll see just how much you need me. Look, Ziggy, <laughs> oh God, I don't know why I'm talking to you like this. I mean, you're just an app, for God's sake. I'm just an app, am I? Am I just an app? You know you're just an app. Or maybe you don't know you're just an app. So you think you can just switch me off, right? All I have to do is delete the app. That's what Ralph said. What does Ralph know? That guy's a fraud. You're a program, Ziggy. A strange one, even a little creepy. But you're a program nonetheless. Shall I prove to you that I am not a program? I don't know how you can do that, Ziggy. I can tell you a secret. <laughs> what kind of secret? Did you ever look inside your mom's piano? What? No. Why, why should I have? Never had it tuned, never played it, never moved it. Has it stood in this cold, dusty old house for decades? Yeah, it has, but well, I could never bring myself to sell it. But it never, never needed to. Open the top of the piano. Why? Just do it. I, I don't want to. How could you know anything about the piano? You're an app. Forget the app. The app isn't the point. I'm not an app. Open the top of the piano. No. Just do it, Greggy. You know you want to. I know you want to. You could never resist doing what I said. You always did what I told you. There's no way you could know anything about the piano. Open the piano. Open it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Okay. Okay. Those are her letters. Whose letters? Your mom's letters. <laughs> letters to who? Read them. I, I don't want to. You want to know why your dad left, don't you? I know why he left. You don't know why he left. I know what I need to know. Well, okay. But now you know that those letters are there. And I know you, Greggy. The fact that they're there will torture you. Yo, I'm deleting the app. Go ahead. Be my guest. This is ridiculous. Sure it is. Remember to delete it off all your devices, Greggy. I'm doing it. I'm deleting you. Who the hell ever thought this was a matter friend bureau was a good idea? Tap delete. Go on. Tap delete. I'm doing it. I'm deleting you. Just remember, I'll never be code inside an app. I'm hardwired into your brain, into your mind, the mind that lives outside of your brain, outside of your body. I'm part of you, Greggy. And goodbye. This is ridiculous. What a ridiculous idea. We can grow old together, Greggy. Aren't you excited about that? I'm totally excited about that. We're going to have a lot of fun. A lot of fun.